Hi, Sarah in LA. Um, some of your early episodes on statement analysis and body language made me think of um, a book by true crime author Sarah Weinman called The Real Alita, where she um, examines the potential modeling of uh, Nabokov's Alita off of a real story of someone who posed as an FBI agent and basically seduced and kidnapped a young woman um, and brought her from Camden, New Jersey to Southern California. However, in this press junket, um, they discuss how um, the author and the protagonist and the real Alita are essentially grooming the audience for sympathy and seducing the audience. Um, and before you know it, you've been manipulated uh, to giving him sympathy and seeing his point of view when really what he has done is um, committed a real crime. I didn't know if you were aware of that or interested. Before I head into that, I want to address actually another voice message was left to me that I completely forgot about. I went through all my messages recently and went, okay, here's the ones I need to answer on the air. And there is a woman out there that listens who made a fake name to send me a message, which a lot of you do, no big deal. You use the name, first name Ann, last name Droid, very funny. But I'm not playing this message on the air because I don't want to give this person undue, not, not Ann, but the person they're talking about. I don't want to give them undue uh, people going over there, rushing over there for no reason. But you sent me a message and you were talking about another podcast that had to do with the counterintelligence program. And you're the only person who did this. So if, if you're wondering if this is you, this is definitely you. Another progr program you listen to had to do with the counterintelligence program. And on that show, you mentioned the guy's name and uh, with the initials SB, as in Sierra Bravo. And your whole thing was about the show and whether or not I was actually that guy. And if I was like changing information, why I did the show. And if I wasn't that guy, that they were stealing my stuff and you could tell because they used some sort of voice modulator, something to change the pitch, but you knew it was me. So that's not me. That guy's a fucking poser. He's a clown. You may have noticed that if you recall, assuming you still listen to the show, within about a week of you sending me that message, he had probably within a couple of days put out a, another episode and he had mentioned it. He was now getting hundreds of followers and everybody's waking up or something like that. It's not the case couple things I did me and David Robertson went into this guy's stuff we didn't listen to entire episodes we skipped through bits and pieces of several episodes where the descriptions and titles sound like stuff I may have talked about or even remotely just to see if we could identify anything that sounded like me which we did not I'm not saying it's not there I'm just saying we didn't find it second there's ways that you can look into stuff to see viewership and this guy's getting viewers in the single digit numbers occasionally it goes into the low tens like he has some to 30 or 40 and some that are a couple years old went to 100 so he's not getting the numbers that he claims. That's the most important thing. Secondly, he's a poser. All the stuff he's talking about is completely made up. I would actually think at some point early on, I looked at some of the stuff and wondered if he did have a delusional disorder. But then I realized, it didn't take long for me to realize it's not the case. He knows he's full of it. But the guy's a clown. Nothing he talks about is real. But most importantly, we couldn't find the stuff. We didn't want to sit there and spend hours and hours listening to this guy because uh, it was just painful. We didn't find anything that even sounded like me. So if you're still a listener, if you happen to find anything or an episode or you can just send me one episode and you say, yeah, about 20 minutes in, he says this stuff. I'm pretty sure it sounds like 
like he's stealing from you, hey, no problem, because I can get that shut down. Granted, he's not getting any money, doesn't have any viewership, but I can get that burned right off the internet and, uh, you know, pursue, pursue legal action if needed. But right now I can get his stuff taken down. So if you want to send me that, if you got it, you know, let me know. We'll figure it out. Now, moving on to Sarah's comment or question, really. So I'm not familiar with the book, but I am familiar with that process. I would presume the book is fiction. Uh, may not be, though. A lot of nonfiction books like that. I'm not sure to what degree that specific agency does that. But this reminded me, I never thought about doing a show. Like, I've done a show about, um, you know, what they look for when hiring places like CIA, for example, or DIA, wherever. And jobs in the military you can do. I don't think I did too much on the civilian side. Like people always talk about, hey, when you get out of the military, what translates to civilian life? And I don't think about this world and the intelligence community is doing the same thing because they're not civilians. But by default from the military side, everybody else is civilians. But there are people in the intelligence community and other federal jobs that are serving their country I wouldn't consider civilians. Like I don't think of politicians, elected politicians at at least the federal level as civilians. You know, they're lawmakers or judges, or members of the executive branch. So these guys aren't really civilians, so I don't think about this stuff because a lot of it to me is, nobody's asked a question to me, it's obvious. Like, well, you know, you can just go to a lower-level agency or a, another agency, a private organization, you can go to a state job, you can go work for another federal asset, you know, a federal agency, something like that, or you can go be an instructor at a schoolhouse. But there are things where this uh, job can take you, some which I've done. And it speaks to uh, the comment question you made. So that's very real, number one. I don't know how much it's really done. Like, I, I worked with some lawyers before. I'm not sure. I never, nothing that was like, you know, a huge multi-year before we get into a court case over some massive murder thing that went on for months. Nothing really big like that. I do know there's some court prep that's done. But I've seen it with politicians and people that speak publicly. There's a couple of things that go, go on that happen. One is just being an order, speaking in public. Those that work with individuals who give public speeches to help them how to phrase, how to speak correctly, how to use proper English, how to make it sound good, flow well, how to get the subconscious mind acting, how to stand, how to move to your power side, as they say, and all this other stuff, and how you look, where you look. It's a teleprompter at the right height, so make sure when cameras see you, people see you, it looks like you're speaking to them and not looking down at them. You know, how do you position your hands? How do you talk with your hands? One great example of seeing this developing somebody is actually President Obama. I'm sure it still happens, but it used to be, I think it was C-SPAN or CNN. Early, early in the morning, almost every day, they bring out some congressman, usually a junior member, and ask them some question, and they would try to answer it. And they, and they would, these were softball questions, but the guys would almost always sound like morons because they couldn't speak well. They weren't prepared for this. Might have been their first time on TV. A lot of times if they were wearing suits to work, as they usually do, they didn't have the jackets on if the weather was nice. And I remember seeing President Obama back then as Congressman Obama and just, uh, oh, man, just a train wreck. Last time I saw him do this was less than two years before he ran for president. And he changed a lot by then. And by the time the election was over, he had definitely changed. You could watch that speech where he won his election and just watch him and then go early, early on, even before he was the candidate, and watch his uh, debates. You can watch him talk publicly, and it was it's night and day. 
and it got even better during his presidency. He's a, he was, became a great order. Okay, that didn't happen overnight. He had coaching. He had help. There's people to do that. The other thing, though, is like what you're talking about. Kind of uh, manipulation. That's why, I don't know, at the time of recording this, I just wrote Master Manipulator, so I remember what it is. I don't know what actually title the show, but there are people that do that, that consult in that way. I don't think they're all from this world. They probably aren't. But they are consultants that help with how to present information to manipulate the audience. Part of this is done in advertising. A lot of that's manipulation. Part of it's done for social media. There's people that are consultants for social media. They have official titles. They don't know what they are. Like um, with all this canceling stuff, Gina Carano, she was on a Star Wars TV show of some type. She made a comment on Twitter about the Holocaust that got her essentially canceled and Disney fired her over Twitter. So I read I read her comment and I read it in context to the situation that was going on. And people just went after her because she mentioned the Holocaust, not because of, she didn't say anything really that bad, but they went after her really went after she hired a very very famous person i saw this on an interview she did an interview i can't i was with ben shapiro and i watched the interview specifically to read her body language because a lot of times when he does interviews you actually get full body shots for several seconds not just headshots but one thing she talked about was she hired this famous person who's a cult and consultant for places like twitter and looked at the comments she had made the reactions that people had in the public at least on twitter and then her apology that didn't go over well and one of the things the lady said was, she's like, well, Gina, you know, or however she said it, you made a very logical response to an emotional situation. And that's why it didn't work. What you needed to do and still need to do is give an emotional response to this emotional situation. That's what brings truth to people. Now, that is, in fact, true. This is why when I mentioned on the last one, I mentioned about not speaking to emotions and emotional situations over texting because even though it seems like that's what people want that's not what they want they want issues solved questions answered that's why they choose to contact a person at a company they would call them customer service whether they are not so that's one of the things that people can do now i don't know how much this really happens i imagine there are people that are paid to help lawyers give public speeches for people before during after trials Perhaps some of those attorneys have some of their own training. One of the things I did was jury selection. So <laughs> this is kind of funny. Part of this is funny. I had a uh, pending court case that never happened for me. I was the plaintiff that got settled out of court for some money due to a vehicle accident. It was pretty bad. Anyway, during that process, when I did my deposition, I was so irritated with the uh opposing sides attorney, the insurance company's attorney, that I interrupted a few times. My lawyer knew I was getting upset. You know, he tried to calm me down, and we took a break. I was like, that's not what I need to hear. So however he said it, I calmed down. But I was like, this guy just sucks at a job. Like, I get this is how you guys do it. It's manipulation, it's questioning. It's just I wish he'd do it better. He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, he asked this. This is manipulative, however he does it, blah, blah, blah. But it's a shitty way to do it. He should have said it this way. That would have been more effective. He's like, wow. Because he had no idea what my background was. Anyway, when we were done, I explained to him some things about body language on this drive back from the deposition. Months later, go by, the case is settled. I gave him some books to read. And then I ended up going in and seeing him or seeing another attorney at some point. And we uh, discussed jury selection stuff. And it was about 
helping or being contracted to help people pick juries. So I did it a couple of times. It was small time stuff, not like big major crimes or anything, not even felonies, I don't think. But it was about assisting them in understanding who to pick. What they wanted me to do was pick people who fit a certain profile. I didn't have enough time to make a profile like that. But what I helped them understand is whether or not a person was being deceptive, at least that in the questioning process by the attorneys and the judge of, you know, here's this, here's that, here's what you do. So it was boring as hell and kind of helpful, but on the second one was the last time I did it because I couldn't control myself. I really couldn't. I was acting as I did when I interviewed people for JSOC is I would just sit there and I would just kind of say, because you got to remember you're mic'd, you know. <laughs> so I'd sit there and be like, yeah, that's a lie. And I became a distraction, so I quit doing it. There are people that have also had experience in this, especially things with body language deception, that have worked during court cases where they've looked, I think I mentioned this a long time ago, but they've looked at tapes. They've sat in the courtrooms, but they'll watch a tape or watch a tape after the fact of an interview process during testimony of something they know nothing about. And then, or, or they'll get more information on it if they, if they believe they need to. And then they give assessments on information and say, okay, you see here there, the example I think I gave before, cause this one's really common is, well, here's, this isn't just deception. Here's a lie. It appears not to be subconscious. So I just call it a lie. Okay. Well, what's going on? Well, they're retelling this. I did this with Kyle Rittenhouse actually talking about him and the fire extinguisher and he's explaining the story and acting it out and how it doesn't line up. And that's what happens sometimes, whether they're made to do by the lawyers or they just recall it incorrectly. Or in, in some cases they recall it correctly. They just tell it incorrectly. They reenact it and it doesn't line up with how their version of events go meaning their verbal story doesn't match their visual reenactment of the story. You're like, yeah, that's a problem. So there's things like that that can be used as well. And attorneys can pay well for this stuff. I don't know, maybe this sounds boring to everybody because I'm not really teaching anything, but I thought this would be interesting to at least tell these stories. I'll give you another. This is where it was, I totally forgot, but this is where it gets funny. So I got the letter to do to go on a jury, whatever they call that. Jury duty, that's what you call it. Because I was out of the military, got out of contracts, wasn't working for the government anymore, and decided to register to vote for the first time in almost 20 years. Whole other story, but I didn't vote while I was in the military, at least after about a year in. So, and that wasn't because I, I couldn't vote, I chose not to. So when you register to vote, you go into the pool for jury duty. So I get the letter first letter and I did what any responsible American would which is facetious at best and I threw it away because I didn't even consider that it was that important that it mattered that I had to respond to it I later learned I probably should I didn't get in trouble or nothing but I eventually went to jury duty for a minor league case I'd call it and inside I'm laughing a lot when they're giving us instructions and they're asking questions or whatever but is the point where I'm the person essentially being interviewed to find out if I'm fit for duty, essentially. And they're like, you know, you, you understand this, you're giving these directions. I mean, they eventually get into some questions about what if this happens, what if this happens. They kind of give you the basic directions of how the entire process works. And it was essentially like, you know, do you understand what we're saying? Like, yep, totally got it. Okay, are, are you going to be able to do that? I'm like, I absolutely will not do that. 
Like, what? I was like, yeah, con- I'm telling you consciously, <laughs> I am not going to do that. I, I don't agree with it. I don't care if it's the rules. I'm going to know who is or isn't guilty, and that's how I'm going to vote. Like, well, what are you talking about? I'm like, I am literally an expert at things like deception, manipulation, and reading body language, building rapport. And I go, really? And I said, this is my background who I am. I got jury duty because I never voted. I was in the military and government service. So I got this. Told him flat out I threw the letter away until I got a phone call. Or I think I got a phone call for another one anyway. I was like, yeah, so I decided I better come. And they're like, okay, so... You know, they're trying to explain the rules, what right is. And I'm like, look, I don't care. I'm telling you flat out, this is not to get out of, out of this. I'm going to tell you exactly how I would do this, which is exactly why you're not going to want me, but also exactly why you should only want people like me on a jury. And I, I broke it down to, I'm going to have instructions from the judge and there's rules and policies we got to follow. And, we, you know, we're going to have a foreman. And we're going to listen to things presented that are evidence, verbal and visual. There's going to be arguments from both sides and, you know, there'll be protests, whatever they objections, and this will get sustained, that won't, or instruction. I understand all that. I was like, I've seen TV. I know that's not really how it is. I've been in a courtroom a couple of times, but I get it's boring, but I understand that, but I don't care because when I watch, I'm not only going to watch the judge, I'm going to watch both attorneys, I'm going to watch all the witnesses. And people in, if there's anybody present other than the jury. I'm going to read body language. I'm going to look for tension. I'm going to look for stress. I'm going to see how questions are being asked. I understand the ways in which you're asking them is not how I'd ask them to recruit an asset to turn somebody into a spy in a foreign country. But I get this process. And this is a longer explanation of what I said to them. But I'm going through all this stuff of how that job's done. And said, look, your evidence to pretty much anybody could look like a, a guy's guilty. Your testimony could look like he's guilty. His defense could be shit. But I'm telling you right now, if I read deception and lying from what looks like the winning team and from the defense, they're just unprepared, not really good at their job, but this guy I think definitely is innocent, then I'm not going to do guilty. I go, It can go the other way too. The prosecution can blow it. Things could be all kinds of wrong. Experts could be shit. The defense guy could really, really look innocent have a really good presentation, but when I see him talk about it, I'm like, these guys are liars. They're full of it. I was like, I'll figure it out, and I'll vote guilty, and you'll end up with a long jury, essentially. So anyway, through that process and answering some questions specific to what I did and situations get presented to me at that moment, they, they had enough and decided I probably didn't know that things, and I wasn't going to do stuff the way I said. Or I was do it the way I said, not the way they'd want me to, so I, you know, I got dismissed and have to do it. But the reason I brought that up is I didn't, I mean, brought it up to them was I didn't, I wasn't doing it to get out of jury duty. I definitely didn't want to do jury duty, but I only thought it was fair. I had enough conscious in that situation because I want to believe in the legal system, even though I know it's flawed and you're potentially affecting somebody's life or messing with somebody's life for real. I thought it was only fair to them, the officers of the court to get them to understand, Hey, this is who I am and how I do this. I thought that was fair, and that's why I did it. So, yeah, definitely not a guy for jury duty. Now, going back to your scenario or my scenario, your book you're talking about and what they do, I did do something like that a couple of times. I don't think I really discussed much about my background with the people I helped. One, I just helped, and the other one I 
told them a little bit of stuff, enough to get them to buy into it. But they were leaders of organizations that weren't very big, that were having communication problems, image issues, these kind of things. And I know there's people you can hire for this, whoever they are, they couldn't have afforded them. I was just doing it for free. But I was helping them with their methods of communication, how they were saying things, what they'd say to people, the policies they're put in place, when to present information, you know, what information should be publicly available. It's not everything should be available to all employees of the organization, you know, to understand what transparency really is and isn't. And through that process, things got better for them. You know, emails and meetings got attended more often and follow-up was fo- was followed through. And this guy was, in one situation, was keeping a better schedule of things, wasn't just willy-nillying stuff, realized that he was willy-nillying stuff and wasn't doing it anymore. Realized that his methods of communication improved. His membership to his organization jumped. Retention lasted longer. And a lot of it was these type of things, how you present things, when you say them, what you say, the methods of communication, the body language you're using. You know, I tell them in this situation, don't stand up. In this situation, don't ever sit down. All kinds of little things that would help influence people and even have them rehearse some practice. Very similar to stuff you're talking about. And it helped him greatly. And I know there's other people out there with similar or even stronger backgrounds of mine that have done that professionally for different people and part of political political teams for people being elected. I'm sure somebody somewhere did it for a president. But anyway, because I was brought up, I thought, I thought some of you might find this is interesting, just some things that can be done outside of this field where you're still doing the same stuff. You know, there's people that, especially places like CIA, when they're not CIA, DIA, that come out and do things like this, social media, but bigger than just a podcast. They're on YouTube, they write books, you know, they're having seminars, teaching classes. They got nice websites. They sell products, this type of thing. There's ways in which they send their emails out. Their websites usually look very legit. They don't, you know how you see those ads sometimes. It's just a very bad, terrible website. Lots of crazy colors and bold and fonts and bad videos. And they're trying to hockey some supplement or something. These guys don't do that. They have good websites. But their emails look something like those cheesy emails, but you realize that they're not there's a lot of bold in them there's a pattern to how they write those that they learn in the agency that has to do with influence and persuasion of people to get them involved to want to read more things and there's certain ways they write them their paragraphs aren't very long almost every other thing is bold not all the time and it's very short overall and you can read it in a couple minutes if it even takes that long which is considered pretty long and it's methods that they've learned in the professional world that they've brought to their own civilian hobby that became, for many of them, a business. So anyway, hopefully you found this interesting. If anybody else got comments or questions like that, please let me know. Uh, also shoot me some written questions. And we will have some more stuff coming soon. I just thought that was a good one, and I hope that you enjoyed it. And then we will move on from here. I got some Ukraine stuff coming. I'll probably have to do a two-parter on uh, the Intel perspective on Russia-Ukraine as well as kind of a analysis of the current things going on over there to which I'll say now I've been wanting to say this for a while because I'm going to talk to David in a while I made a statement similar to what David said early on especially even back when we did the video in March that I have since changed my mind on and this has been for a couple months now I just forgot to tell him it was based heavily on what I knew and what I believed and learned about the Russians and the intel community and the entire intelligence community believe that now and that has changed 
that's not only on the threat and effectiveness of the conventional military, but whether or not things will amp up or change, or they're holding a bunch of better soldiers in reserve. We were all wrong in that. Intelligence community, everybody. I mentioned beforehand, this was during the time period of me changing my mind or after I had changed it, where some military officer made this great post on Twitter with a picture of one of these tow trucks towing off the tank, you know, and he's like, I spent all these years, all this training, all this money and military exercises trying to figure out how to de defeat the Russian bear and come find out I wasted my time because all I needed was a tow truck. So we've learned a lot, but I have kind of an analysis on where that war's going and what's dangerous about it. So that'd probably be the second part. So I got to work those out and I got a few other ones. So stick around, check out the next episode if we got more up or go listen to some other ones. And with all the stuff going on in China, go back and look for China and Taiwan, the Intel perspective, see what their interests are. Because that's, the game's changing a little bit too over there.